One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Come home to ultra-fast broadband and Sky's best-ever Wi-Fi for our lowest-ever price from just €30 Euro a month. So you can now play games, stream music, and download movies at ultra-fast speeds for less than ever before. To switch from just €30 Euro a month for 12 months, search Sky 30. Availability subject to location, set up these terms and conditions apply. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. Yes, proper treat this, the date. We've got an ex-player, agent, chief exec and model as well. Gordon <laughs> Smith, how are you doing? Yeah, right? Fine, sir. Yeah, good. Thanks very much for coming on. Pleasure. No problem at all. I'm going to give you the title of the second most clever person we've had on, just slightly behind Bob Malcolm. Is that right? Bob, Bob the cleverest, is he? <laughs> Bob was an intellectual. He's, um, hit it, he's hit it well, I think. Uh, he has yeah. it. <laughs> you started off with a business degree, obviously started playing at Kelly, but it was, uh, it was actually your mum that, that, that got you in the business side. Yeah, what happened was uh, my mum wouldn't let me leave school. She said, I, I think she also had this belief that, you know, maybe I'm not going to be a footballer, whereas I did. I, I actually just thought, uh, from an early age I was going to be one and I wanted to be the best and I, I used to practice a lot on my own but obviously she'd other ideas Fun enough when I, I remember I did an interview years and years later after I stopped playing my dad and, and they actually said during the interview with my dad they said did you think Gordon was going to be a player and he went no I didn't he said he was too thin he was skinny and I didn't think he would make it so that's probably he was probably telling that to my mum so she was the one that was concentrating on you better do your, your education so she, she made me stay on school and do my hires but I got in the command at first team when I was at school. So I, was, I went into the fifth year and I was that year I got in the command at first team. And then uh, when I was 18, um, she was the one that applied for me to go and do a degree. I didn't apply myself. She was the one that did it. So were you playing for the first team and then on a Monday you'd be in college? Yeah, well, I was in school. On Monday I was in school, even when I was in the first team. I was playing against the Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Aberdeen on Saturday. And on Monday I was in a classroom doing my hires. And was that unusual? Were you the only one that was kind of doing that in the first team? I don't, I, I, only one in the first team, yeah. I was only one that was still at school in the first team. I think there was a couple others at college and things like that. But I was the only one that was still a, a schoolboy at the time. What was an upbringing like for a, a young player there? Obviously that was part-time, so was it... Yep. Just two nights a week and then again ah, on a Saturday? That's right. They'd only just gone part-time though because when I started training, it was a great thing when I signed for Kilmarnock because I had the chance to sign for Rangers Celtic and Kilmarnock at 14 years of age. And my dad said, you're going to Kilmarnock. I said, because you're a fan. And he went, no. He says, you've got more of a chance there. He says, and they, if the big teams like you, they'll come back for you. Which was great advice from my dad at that mm. time because what happened was that first year at 14 years of age, the Kilmarnock were full-time. I was brought in to train with the full-timers in the summer at 14 years of age. And for the next two years, 
basically command it. We're still a full-time team. And I was getting full-time training every school holiday. Yeah. I would spend all my time training. And it was great for my development. There's no doubt about that. But then they went part-time. And then it became the two nights a week job. I was in in a, a Tuesday and a Thursday night training with them and a match on a Saturday or whatever. But so it was, it was harder then when it was part-time. But at the end of the day... At least, I always I thank my mum now for the fact that she got me educated because uh, it helps you when you stop playing. You know, Definitely, you get, yeah. helps you get into different positions. Yeah. Uh, did the older boys give you a bit of stick because you were going to college and stuff? like oh, that? Oh yeah, I mean, they did. The older, the older ones did. I mean, you know, schoolboy and all that sort of thing. It was a classic story though. I was um, when I was actually got picked for Scotland, and uh, I went along, and the SFA guy said to me, "Have you got a passport, Gordon?" I said, "No, I've never been abroad." They went, "You got a passport?" So they. they they took me into the Park Circus offices, Park Gardens it was, sorry, and uh, they said to me, during the filming in the form, they were filming in the form, they said to me, are you full-time? And I went, no, no, I'm not, I'm still at school. You know, and I went, okay. Now, and a lot of the younger ones won't, won't remember this, but in those days, a passport, your passport, 10-year passport said occupation in it. My 10-year passport came in and the occupation was schoolboy. <laughs> right, right. I was, I was married with two kids, still travelling with that passport, by the way. Like, the, looks, the looks I was getting airports. I mean, do you think they might have put student or something like that? They actually put schoolboy. That sums up the SAP. Oh, brilliant. Um, <laughs> uh, your next move was Rangers. Yes. Um, was it a battle between Celtic and Rangers to get you again? Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't know till later, though, because what happened was... I, I was being at Rangers about a month and we played Aberdeen in a, friend, a, a, a League Cup game and I actually scored a hat-trick, the only hat-trick I scored for Rangers. We beat Aberdeen 6-1 and I was leaving and Billy McNeil, the manager of Aberdeen, shouted me and he said, Gordon, I just want to say well played tonight. I went, thanks very much. I thought it was very magnanimous of him to say that when we just beaten them 6-1. He said, uh, I thought you had a great game. He said, what made you come here? I said, Rangers bought me. And he goes, yeah, why do you not want to come to us? I went, Aberdeen? And he went, yeah. I said, I don't know. And he says, we were in for you too. And Celtic, do you know when Celtic were in for you? I went, no. He says, the three of us were in for you at the same time. We thought you chose Rangers. And I was like, no, I didn't know. No, nobody told me. All I, did, all I was told was the manager come out and said, meet your eyebrooks, I've just sold you to Rangers. Why do you think that was? I've no idea. Mm-hmm. But I found out, it was, I mean, into another details, Tommy Doherty was speaking at a dinner in Glasgow about 15, 16 years ago. And during his speech, he suddenly went, I see Gordon Smith there. Nice to see Gordon. I tried to sign Gordon as Man United manager. <laughs> right, and what I went, career you could have? I went, up, I went up to him after. I went up after dinner. I'm not joking, say. I went up after dinner. I went, hi, Tommy. He went, how you doing, Gordon? I went, see what you said up there. And he goes, you didn't know. I said, no. He said, I went in for you. I offered. You were 19 years old. He said, I offered 100,000 for you. He says, Kamarnik accepted it. They said, can we do the deal Monday? Can Gordon play for us tomorrow? And we'll do the deal Monday. And Tommy went, okay. He says, you must have played well. And I went, why? He goes, when I went back in the Monday, they wanted more money. I said, you're joking. He went, no. He said, he said, and, they, and what he said to them was, I'm not negotiating here. I've, you agreed a price on Friday, that's the price. They started still to try and negotiate. He says, if you don't stop this, I'm putting the phone down. He says, I put the phone down on them and they never phoned me back. And he, says, he said to me, you didn't even know this? I went, no, I'm finding out like I'm retired for oh, 15 years before I find that out. Uh-huh. Business, th- business degree, but you're not that fucking clever, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Nobody told me anything. Would that change your mind? I was like some Man United that I, came I, in for I you. Was it always Rangers that you wanted to go I, 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 I was a, I was a Rangers fan to a degree, but I mean, see, to be honest with you, think going to Man United, it would have changed my life. You know, being down in England at 19 years of age, uh, it would have been regarded as a big signing then, something buying a, a kid from a, t- a club like Kilmarnock and all that thing. So... I couldn't believe it. The other one I wouldn't have known is, I've said this before, Rangers was fantastic. Jock Wallace was the best manager I played for in my career. Him and then just Alan Muller slightly behind. But if I'd been sitting, if I'd been in meetings with, say, Jock Wallace, uh, uh, Jock Steen and Billy McNeil, 
it would be a hard one to decide who I would have gone with. And, mm -hmm. and you know, there's no doubt, I think probably even the top of the tree would have been Jock Steen, just because of his reputation, what he'd done. I didn't know Jock Wallace at that time. There was a little bit of a, a fear factor with Jock Wallace. Everybody always said he was a big hard man, you should be scared. Whereas Jock Steen might have been different. So if I'd been sitting down in front of the three of them, who knows, I might have been a Celtic player. Do you think there was a lot of that going on back then? With, with players, players not knowing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There was no agents. Uh, see, no agents. So is that maybe what got you into the agency, agent I did to well? a degree, yeah, because I, I felt that players needed proper advice. As I say, even some of the agents I felt were giving players bad advice uh, because I, I felt that a lot of them were doing the deal on the basis of money that was coming in for the player. And I always used to say, my advice to the player was always, make a football decision first, and if you're right, the money will come with it rather than making anything that's got to do with money. money yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I, that was my philosophy on it, and not everybody agrees with that, but I think a lot of the agents were just concerned with money. That was last week as well. I just found out last week that Celtic and Rangers went for me last summer, but Peter had never even told us. <laughs> Is that right? Jock <laughs> <laughs> uh, Walsh, you mentioned him there. Yeah. Was he ruthless? He was a hard man, but do you know what? He was, he was good. He knew when to knock you down. What you get in football is being able to get the, the carrot and the stick, they call it, don't they? Mm -hmm. And I remember I'd just gone to Rangers and I, and I it was so lucky. I was scoring goals right away for them. It was actually, you know, it was unbelievable how it just happened. I was playing midfield rather than I was in the wing at Kilmarnock. And what happened was I, I waited to sign the form and then I said, like to Jock Wallace, I said, why have you signed me? You've just signed David Cooper. He's, and he goes, well, I'm not playing you in the left wing. He says, the first time I saw you, he says, you were a midfield player, middle of midfield. He says, that's where I'm going to play you. He said, uh, you, so you won't be playing? He says, I've been trying to sign you for the last four years. He said, that's what he said to me. And I went, right. And he goes, first time I saw you, you played there, and that's where you're going to play. So I was doing really well and scoring goals, and we're playing against St. Man at Love Street, and we're losing 1 0 at half time. And I, I must have thought I've done all right at half time. And he must have been able to tell from my face, because I'm sitting there and he was having a, a go at the players. And he suddenly grabbed my shirt and he pulled me out of the seat. He says, See, when I say we're not playing well, I'm talking to everybody in the team. Put me back down right now. Yeah. So you were like, okay. Now that was a great lesson. Now the next time it happened was, I must have had a bad game and after the game, I'm sitting there after the game and he must have seen it in my face as well. And he did the same thing. He grabbed my shirt and pulled me forward. I thought I'm going to get slaughtered here because I had a bad game. He went, see when you give me the effort, you gave me the day, you'll always be in this team. Right? Uh, you know so what you mean? always had your thinking. Uh -huh. that's, that's good psychology, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that, makes, that lifted me when I'm down. And the other side of things was he, he gave me a kick when I was thinking I was doing I'm great. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm above this. But that, that's how good he was. I, f I felt he was, he was very, very uh, clever in terms of the management side. Um, you mentioned Davy Cooper there. Yeah. First of all, how good was he? Uh, Davy was a great player. He really was. He was the most talented player I've ever played with. He was, I would say that he was unfortunate to be playing in Scotland for some reason. People say, why are you saying that? Because the reason is that he was a playmaker. See, if he'd been a continental player, Davy Cooper would have been the old number 10 position. You just play and create. Whereas in Scotland, if you can't tackle, you get stuck in the wing. That's why I was in the wing for Kilmarnock. I was never a tackler. <laughs> so you get put in the wing in Scotland, you probably suffered for it yourself at some stage, you know. And that's what happens. If, and, and he was a, a really talented player. But you see, it was quite funny at first. I got friendly with him because we, we'd signed at the same. I, he signed in the, the thing, the June or the July, and I signed in the August. I signed after the first league game. And um, I got friendly with him because we were the new players, me, him and David and Bobby Russell, right. we came in together. But David found it very hard because he'd come from Clyde Bank and maybe he was a star there, they were a part-time team. He couldn't quite cope with the kind of atmosphere of a, a full-time dressing room and the older players giving you a bit of stick. Who would the older players be? Well, they? the older players would be like uh, Sandy Jardin and Tommy McLean and Colin Steen, uh, no Colin Steen, Colin Jackson. Um, Tom Forsyth, Alec McDonald, right. they were quite hard on you, you know what I mean? Peter McCloy, 
as well. I remember Big Peter saying to me one day, he says, uh, he says, midfield player, he says, if I was a midfield player, I'd have 50 caps. And I said, Peter, if you'd been a goalie, you'd have 50 caps, right? <laughs> so that was it. Soon you hit back at them, uh-huh. you learned to, to, to hold it. And oh, could Davey not do that? Could, could he not hit back? Yeah, that, in those days, he couldn't. He, wasn't, he, he got better at it and he did get good at it, right? But I remember going with him one day and what happened was he, the, 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 actually the, the, the guy was, the kit guy was putting all the kit out before the game. And one of the players said, uh, is that Coop's pyjamas you're putting out there? Right? And I saw his face, right, you know. So I had to take him aside and say to him, listen, Coop, this is what it's like at the full-time game. A lot of the times they're just giving you a bit of stick to see how you cope. They're doing it for a laugh, to get a laugh for everybody else. It's not, it's not meaningful. Just ignore it and get on with things, you're fine. And he was, he was like, do you think so? And I had to have a talk with him. And then he did come onto his own game. And then as years went on, he got better and better. But as I say, he's probably his best. He was great at Rangers, but he's probably his best days were at Motherwell in terms of that free roll. I remember going to watch Motherwell a few times he was playing it and they, they just let him play mm-hmm. and he, he was such a talent. Was, uh, was Sandy Jardin the captain at the time? No, uh, well first year I was there John Gregg was the captain but right. Sandy Sandy became uh, the captain. He was, a, he was a great guy. I mean Sandy, just, he was just a joke Sandy, uh, make jokes about you and all that and he could take it as well though but there were a great it was a great atmosphere to be in. I enjoyed it because the, these experienced players had been very successful and, you know, it was great to play along them because he sat in that dressing room before big games. I always remember the, the first cup final I played, the Scottish cup final against Aberdeen and I was sitting there and Aberdeen were in great form and all that. But I'd never forget sitting there and looking around the dressing room at who was all sitting there, the players that I was going to be playing alongside and, and all of a sudden I just felt really confident. I just mm-hmm. thought... We, we can beat Aberdeen with this team we've got here, you know what I mean? There was a lot of experience in that team. Was there tactics not back then or was it just basically go and play? It was, ta- it was tactical in, in respect, but it was basically go and play. We, we were quite unusual. That, that's why a lot, of people, a lot of people think I was a striker when I went to Rangers at first because Harley MD played with the system we played. We played a 4-3-3 and in the front three, Tommy McLean was wide right, David Cooper wide left and Derek Johnson was in his own. And everybody thought I was a joint striker because I was scoring goals and all that. But I was midfield with Bobby Russell and Alan McDonald. So it's more like a, a, a modern day system. Uh-huh. Like a 4-3-3. So it was Jock Wallace before his time? Okay. It was before his time in terms of that system, yeah. yeah. But he wasn't big tactically, he, he would pick the team and he didn't give you a lot of tactics when you were out there, you just had to go and play. I mean, it's like, you like a lot of people you see, and I don't know why people tend to get into it too much, but I can always remember, you know, Jan Mulby talking about his time at Liverpool, saying about the, the tactics, and you were just expected to know what you were doing. If you were good enough, you're expected to know how to play your position and what you should be doing, you know? I don't think, the, ta- the system's important, getting told that and, and what you should be doing, but otherwise, a lot of the times you have to do it yourself. Uh-huh. Do you think the game has got too tactical now? I think at times it is, because mm-hmm. it, I, I think in terms of all the, the systems and change of systems, I'm not quite sure everybody knows how to fit in. When, when, at, at times maybe they're thinking too much about what am I meant to be doing here? Because I remember at times I've seen it, maybe even under the time with, with Bertie Volks in charge of Scotland, players were, were totally undecided about what they were meant to be doing when they were actually on the park. I could see them all, all the time looking over the dugout as if to say, a man in the right place, what do you want me doing? So you can be too tactical, I yeah. think. Uh, your first year, he's won the treble. Yeah. Was that beyond both yours and the team's expectations at the start of the season? It was amazing because it was, I don't think, I don't know if it was beyond the team's expectations because they had won the season before I joined, they'd won nothing. And, but the year before that, they won the treble. So it was a, it was a treble, nothing treble. So, right. But it was, it was a tough season. The main, the main actually, opponents that year were Aberdeen, to be honest, because we knocked them out of the League Cup, as I said, that 6-1 game was a League Cup game. And then we, we won the league on the last day of the season. Aberdeen were on a great run and so were we. I think we had to win our last, we won our last eight games. So it was mainly going for the league title, but the biggest thrill I got was the cup 
because my grandfather had won the cup with Kilmarnock, he'd won two Scottish Cups. So it was quite funny, I look back now that I'm, I'm delighted I won the league, but see at the time, the cup was more important to me, just to, to emulate what my, grand, family, huh? yeah, what my grandpa had done, because right. I, I still had the we still had the two medals in the family, in my, grand, my, my, my grandmother's house and all that, so my mum's house, uh, and then what happened was, you know, I thought I would love to win a Scottish Cup medal, so that was the biggest thrill I got, but I look back now, and I think the league was probably more important. Brilliant, winning the treble your first yeah. year. What was the culture like back then in terms of celebrating? Would it be, uh, would it be three or four days at no, a drink? No, well, I, uh, I was teetotal. Oh, were you uh -huh. right? I actually, I didn't drink at all until I went to Brighton. Um, and even when we won the cup, I would put the champagne in the cup, I would put it up to my mouth and, and just pass on. it on. Yeah, <laughs> I'd kid on, I was drinking. Uh -huh. I, was, I was determined not to drink at all. And uh, I'll go into detail on it about why, but when I went, it wasn't until I went down to Brighton that I first had my first drink of alcohol because the, the players celebrated. But do you know the funny thing? We, 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 because we all live quite far apart, there wasn't a great social element to the Rangers. No, so, no there wasn't. We, we turned up for matches. After the, after the cup finals, we'd go out for, for a, a celebration dinner, all that sort of thing. And then we wouldn't see each other for till we come back for pre-season training. Really, right? Yeah, so it wasn't a great friendly culture among all the players. So would Jock not encourage you to go out and drink together? No, really, no, no, not no. at all, not whenever. Okay, and then Jock Wallace leaves. Uh-huh. Bombshell? Bombshell to me, yeah. I was. I remember my mum uh, woke me up in the morning and told me it was just in the radio, Jock Wallace has left. I couldn't believe it because, you know, having signed me and then having won the treble and, and I get so much respect from him, I was so disappointed. And you don't know who... It's so like anything else in football, you'll know this yourself. A ma one manager can have a different opinion mm. on who the best players are, how to play the game and all that. And it was John Gregg that actually got the job. I think too early and he's... Uh, I think because all the players had been his teammates, most of them had... Me, I was only his teammate for a year, but a lot of them had been his teammates for 10, 12 years, some of them. And I think it's not right to quite to take on a group of people who you've actually been you know, a teammate of. Yeah. Why do you think Jock Wallace left? We still don't know to this day. There's a lot of different. Is there any inkling that he was going to go? Now? No, I, I met him years. I met him years later. No, there was no inkling at all. I met him years later, and he still wouldn't tell me about it. Say, si. you know, I right. met him uh, even one time in holiday in Spain and sat with him and, and, and talking with him, and we we're talking about all the things. And I said, "Why did you leave?" And he goes, "I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that." Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, see, when Greg was a player, did you get on with him when you were uh, playing with him? I got on quite well with him, but two things happened that uh, that I should have significance was the first day when I joined. Um, Rangers, I, I, I arrived at Ibrox, I'd just signed the day before and it was my first training session and I walked up to the club and Sandy Jarden and John Gregg got out of a taxi, I think they come on a train and into Glasgow and then because we were both living in Edinburgh and Sandy Jarden said welcome to the club Gordon, that's good and John Gregg said hello, he says I don't know what I've signed you for. No way. Yeah, that's what he said, that was the first welcome of my <laughs> captain to Rangers, I was like oh. I goes what do you mean, he goes well we've got Cooper the left winger, I goes I'm not going to be playing left winger and he went alright. So that was, maybe that's what he meant was that we've got another left winger, so I don't know why I've got you because that's where we've been playing. But what is that? It was a, not exactly that's the most, ruthless, eh? not exactly the best welcome. And then uh, the, the second point, point about it was the fact that in that, in that first season was I was scoring really regularly when I came into the team at first and then I went about three games without scoring and that was the first time he'd, he'd said to me when he went, ah, you're not scoring, you're not scoring now for us, eh? Like that, that's wow. what he said, and I was like, oh, cheers. He's a club legend, so could you say stuff back to him, or was it just you, you, you find it hard? I had so much respect for him because he'd been a club legend and, and a great player. He'd won the, the Cup Winners' Cup for them. So you're, you're thinking to yourself, you don't want to be having an argument. I'm glad I never really went into detail on the arguments with him because then he became manager mm. and I had to deal with that. But I never, I never really got on with him really that well when he was a manager either. So, see, when he got the manager's job, did your heart sink a bit? Um, 
Not really, no, because I, I was thinking to myself, well, he knows me, sort of thing, so maybe I'll be okay. I've had a great season. I scored 27 goals, won the treble. Surely he's going to see now that I'm, I'm a player that should be in the team, sort of thing. And, and when, in fairness to me, he did put me, I did play in the team regularly. The only time he played me up front in the European games away from home um, because he wanted, because I can run, he wanted me up front in these games. But the rest of the time I was playing midfield. Sometimes he put me out wide because he, he dropped Coop quite a lot as well. He, he, he wasn't always playing Coop regularly. After what he said to you about Cooper, is he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't always playing him. Yeah. So did you have a few arguments from as a manager? Uh, I had one or two, yeah, one or two, just about things. You know, um, I, I remember, I remember one game we'd scored, I'd scored two goals, and uh, he came in, he went, "Hey, what about that chance you missed there?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "You could have a hat trick." No, he's, no, I said, "I said I scored two, and he goes, "Aye, but you could have a hat trick." That chance, and I went like, oh, "Cheers, boss!" And my two goals had helped us win the game, uh-huh. but he, he picked out the one I missed rather than the two goals. So that was he was quite hard in that respect. It wasn't, it wasn't like Jock Wallace, whereby there was a hard side and a soft side. Nice side as well. Greggy was just generally critical. Right, was he? Yeah, right? yeah. God, you said never knew that. Um, so you lost to Celtic in the league. Good in the Cups, but lost to Celtic. Why do you think that was? I, I don't know. It was, it, was, it was probably the biggest disappointment I had because that was for another treble year we were going for there. And uh, Celtic, that night, I, you know the funniest thing about it, si, I can hardly remember a single thing about the game. So that makes me think I must not have done much in the game. But we were, we were uh, Celtic were down to 10 men that night as well. We, Johnny Dog, got sent off. So we've lost at Celtic Park to 10 men, 4-2. It was three, I think it was, I think it was three, 2-1 for Celtic when you get sent off or whatever. But it was a terrible performance from us. We didn't deserve any, um, I don't think, any sympathy or whatever. It was just a shocking performance to lose that night. And I don't know why we did. As I say, we were going for the league title again. And, and then the following week with the Hibs game for the Cup. So it was a shocker, but that's, that's how you have to learn from that. See, the Celtic and Rangers games, did you used to love them? I loved them. I thought it was a great atmosphere. I mean, I, that was one of the things that I wanted to play in. Celtic Rangers games were uh, something you look from the distance. I'd never been at one. You know, the funny oh, thing? How do you know that no, before you I, No, them, I right? never, because my parents wouldn't let me go because they, they, they were scared. And, and I was a professional at 16. So after I became a professional, we were always playing on the same day as an right. old firm game. So I never got to one. Um, but the, the So the first one I was ever at, I was playing in it. <laughs> That's brilliant, yeah. eh? Uh, do you, what I wanted to ask you is, see if Jock Wallace had stayed, do you think there'd have been a sustained uh, period of success for Rangers? I think so. I think I would have been, I think we'd have continued with that. Yeah, I do. I, I just think John Gregg, uh, John Gregg was tactically better than Jock Wallace, fun enough. He was, he knew the game better in terms of the opposition and, how, and tactics and systems and all that sort of thing. But John, Jock Wallace just sort of picked a team that he liked and kept it that way. Greggy changed the team about at times, you know, but, and that was, I think that was a problem in the end up. And he did, there's no doubt about it, he did have, a, 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 he lost some of the older players who were his, his, um, his friends, had been his friends for years. He did lose one or two. And why of them. was that? Just because, just because of how he, how, he, how he was with them, how he talked to them and all that sort of thing. I think mm-hmm. he, was, he was hard on everybody, you know. Was it the fifth place finish that eventually ended John Gray? Uh, well, I don't know. That was the third season, but that, I, was, uh-huh. I left. I didn't. I, I'd just signed a five year contract when I, I got sold to Brighton. I signed a five year contract, and a month later, he phoned me up and uh, he said, um, what, what are you doing? I said, well, it was just pre season, a close season. And he said, I said, I'm at home. He goes, can you do me a favour? Can you go down to Brighton and speak to Alan Mullery? Uh, he's been trying to sign you all year. He says, I don't want to sell you, but can you go and talk to him anyway? And I went, yeah, OK. This is true. So I went, I went and I never thought anything about it, but big Davy Proven, the Rangers coach, uh, he was a, one of the coaches at the time. He came with me. 
So we go down to see Alan Mullery, go in, picked up by chauffeur at Gatwick Airport, taken down to the club, went to see him, and uh, it was one of the funniest things ever, and it was, it was, it was also a help when I became an agent, because Alan Mullery made me an offer. The first offer I got was double the money that Rangers were paying me. And uh, and thirty thousand to sign on. I was in two. I'd just signed for two hundred pound a week at Rangers, right? Wow. And first off, Brighton was four hundred pound a week. Thirty thousand sign on fee. And I'm like, no. And he's like chatting a bit more. Oh, I'd like you to play. I want you to play midfield. And this. All right. We'll give you four fifty. Thirty five thousand. No. It went up, right? This Why were you saying no? Just because you. I wasn't going to sign. Aye, I just signed a five. There was no way I was going to go. Right. And John Gregg said, I don't want to sell you. Mm. So we got to six hundred pound a week and fifty thousand sign on fee, right? <laughs> This is 1980, and I'm going, no. And he went, look, go and have some lunch, and we'll talk after lunch. It was lunch booked for you in a hotel, and I was like, okay. So I went along to lunch with David Proben, and I was sitting there, and he said, uh, that's some offer, Gordon. I was like, I know. I said, it's unbelievable they can offer me that. And he went, do you know how you should, you know how they're taking it? And I went, you know I'm not taking it. He goes, all right, I should tell you. We, we've accepted the bid. The deal's done. <laughs> what are you talking about? I said, John Gregg said to me, eh, I've not signed. He goes, no, he says, we've accepted it. We just we thought the money would make you change your, change mind. your mind. So I went like that, right? So I went on the phone, no mobiles in those days. I phoned Di Brooks, John Gregg came on the phone, and Greggy said, um, have you signed? That was the first thing he said. I went, no, <laughs> I'm not signing. Are you? I said, I'm not. He goes, you're signing. He said, if you don't sign, I'll make your life hell. Did he? Uh-huh. He said, he said, you'll never play in the first team again. He said, you might not even play in the reserves. I'll have you in morning, noon, night training. He says, you're going to have a hard time if you don't sign. And I was like, how can you not tell me that before I come down? He goes, I just thought you would sign, that's it. You're signing, that's it. What, what do you think his problem was with you? God, no. It was, well, it was a record fee Rangers got for me. Right. They got a record fee. It was £440,000, right? So I didn't know the fee or anything like that. Nobody had mentioned that to me. So I um, went back. I said to David Proven, we had lunch, and I went back, and I said to Alan Morley, I've had a think about it, and okay, I'll sign. I tried to phone my wife as well, because there was no mobiles in those days and couldn't get a hold of her, right? My wee boy... My wee boy then John Greg was holding her hostage. Aye, right? was I? My, my son was a month old. He's now uh, 30, 38. Uh, he was a month old at the time. And uh, so I couldn't get a hold of her because she must have been out because it was just a house phone, right? So I came back up that night and um, got in the house. She went, oh, how are you? How was your day? I went, well, you better sit down. I went, why? And I go, it's because we're going to Brighton. What do you mean? We're not, you're not going to Brighton. I went, yeah, it's done. Did the 50 grand soften the blow through? Well, it's so helped. Uh, it helped 600 pounds <laughs> a week. You know? But that was, I mean... It really shows you how uh, the best negotiation you ever do if you don't want some side, you know what I mean? You just say, if you're no one, if you say somebody came in to buy your house, then you want to sell it. The price would be the best you would, you would ever get. Yeah. But if you're desperate to sell your house, you'll accept a lot less, you know what I mean? But I, I couldn't believe it. So I signed, and a lot of the Rangers fans were annoyed with me because they thought I was I decided to go and all that. But that's how the deal actually happened. Wow. And, but I, I don't hold it against John Gregg. If you're watching this, Greg, I don't hold it against you, mate, because he did my favour. Because right Greg, Rangers went like that in that spell, mm-hmm. right, until Soonest came in, right? So that was 1980. Soonest didn't come into, what, 85 or 86, was it? And I, I enjoyed my time. I had four years at Brighton and two at Man City and when my time down there. So I don't hold a grudge against John Gregg. It was just the way he did it was wrong, but it, it did me a favour. Okay, 50 grand. No wonder you're wearing the Hugo Voss suits. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alan Muller is a bit of a legend, isn't he? What a player he was. He, what was he, he like as a guy? He was great. I, I, I liked Alan Muller. He, he was... He, he was such so good in the game and all that, and, and he, 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 the good thing for me, when somebody signs you, they like you, you know what I mean, and, and, you, and he's going to be great with you in terms of uh, how he, he speaks to you and what he wants from you and all that, but he was good 
in terms of the game and he would, he would also listen to players because I remember one game we were playing and John Gregory who was my teammate went on to manage Aston Villa, uh, yeah. Aston Villa. and uh, he, he offered me that assistant manager's job at Aston Villa John Gregory Did yeah he, right? yeah, we became friends and then um, what happened was Alan Molly was having a go at us at half time and John Gregory actually said uh, you say we're not we're no working hard enough he says if you change the team about and we played a better system than what we're playing now we'd, we, we'd, be, we'd look better and we could win this game and John and, John, and Alan Molly just went okay but what, do you want, what do you think and John Gregory said and we, we said yeah we think we should do that and he went right we'll change to that and it worked so he accepted That's that brilliant it is good management yeah. that yeah because a lot of managers would have gone you shut up I'm in charge here you know but he listened and he changed things so he was, he was a good manager but once again same thing Si one year he left at the end of the year he fell out with the chairman Left at the end of that season, yeah. Think something about you that this keeps happening. I might have been, might have been, but I'm, a, I'm an unlucky guy. But what happened was as well, it was quite funny because we, uh, we were in relegation trouble that season because we are in the top division but, and we had to win the last four games. And what happened was he had changed the system about and I had been playing uh, the kind of free role just behind the striker uh, for, for the initial part of been scoring goals. And that was one of the things we had a discussion on it with four games to go we knew we had to do well in the four games, probably even win them. And, and we said, and some of the boys said, put Gordon back to where he was playing. And that suits his position best to play off the strike and all that. And he did. He changed the team and we won the last four games, which was great wins for us, you know. And uh, we, we, we beat, uh, I think we beat, uh, Le- we beat Crystal Palace, Leeds United, Leicester and um, Sunderland to win the four games and stay up. You said that he done you a favour, John Greg. What, what was it you enjoyed so much about playing in there, going to the big stadiums? It was just, it was a, it was a lot, going to the big stadiums, yeah, playing in the top division uh, of English football against the, the top players, uh, you know, your Liverpools, Everton's, Arsenal's and all that sort of thing. And then also the fact was that, it, it also for the first time, the social element of it, because, because every player had been signed by the club, we all stayed in roughly. Ah, uh-huh. well, in Hove it was actually. It's lovely, Hove, Brighton, yeah. The lanes so, and all that. Oh, brilliant. beautiful! And we all stayed within about a mile of each other, every player. So there was a much more social aspect to it. Uh, I took up three things down there when I was there. I took up gambling, drinking, and uh, golf. Uh, three things. Three things I'd never done before <laughs> because of the because that was the players were into all these things. But as I say, the, the drinking element was something. The first night out with the boys. Uh, Steve Foster and Brian Horton was captain they said right what are we drinking and we were round ordering the drinks and I said I'll have, I'll have a coke they went no we're having a drink tonight Gordon Marcel. and I went no Coca-Cola and they went you don't drink I went no so they came back from the bar with all the drinks put the drinks down I said where's mine they went we don't buy soft drinks get your own <laughs> yeah that's and that's how you started drinking uh, I was like okay so the first few nights out, I was my blue, own blue WKD yeah exactly I was my own, <laughs> I was my own kitty first few nights out, and then all of a sudden I, I like I love a shandy. Then uh, it was my first ever drink a shandy. Um, so after about after about six weeks, though, Sai, I'll tell you this story. We went to um, Steve, uh, my wife came up north with the kid, and Steve Foster said, "You're on your own, aren't you?" And I was like, "I was coming to my house for dinner tonight." I went, "Okay." So I went along Friday night, and uh, he opens a beer. He said, "You want a beer?" And I was like, "No, thanks." And he goes, "Right, chatting away. You, want, you should want a beer." And I went, "No." He opens another beer. Then he opens a third beer. Then his wife shouts us through for dinner. So we go through for dinner. And he, Fozzie opens the wine. He says, you having some wine? I'm like, no thanks. Has a, he most of that, he most of the bottle. Then he's opening the next bottle of wine. He shouldn't have any wine. I went, Foz, we've got, we're playing Liverpool tomorrow. Oh, it was the day before the game? Aye. And he went, I know that's why I'm taking it easy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said. I went, this is you taking it easy? He went, aye. Friday night, you know what I was like. He sounds like the best guy ever. Three beers and there's two bottles, two bottles of wine. Of wine. That was him taking it easy because we're and playing Liverpool. And play the next day fine? Yeah. 
Yeah. And honestly, the drinking culture, I, 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 I'd only just got into it then and known about it, but once we got a few nights out, I couldn't believe it. It was like, they were heavy, heavy drinkers. And did the manager not mind? No. And, uh, no. Encourage it? Well, didn't encourage it, but they just, he, he, knew, he knew the players were like that. Because what happened was every Wednesday was a day off, and then Thursday was a late training session, because he knew all the boys were bevying. On the Wednesday? On the Wednesday quite heavily, because what we'd normally do, we'd play golf, and then we'd go out for dinner, out for the night. That was us, and then Thursday morning was an easy morning, and then we had to recover for Friday and Saturday. <laughs> but some of the boys, I mean, honestly, some of them. Did were, you enjoy that? Did you enjoy going out on a Wednesday and having a? Uh, I enjoyed. I started to enjoy that because I'd never really done that before. I'd never enjoyed that atmosphere because I, I, I get into playing golf. Was I saying something? We go to the racing because a lot of meetings nearby where yeah. we were, a lot of race courses, so that we get into that, and then and then obviously the drinking was all part of that, and with people driving us about and all of them. But the, as I say, I couldn't believe how much. How much they actually drunk and still played at the top level. Brilliant, eh? Yeah. See, just quickly on the, the teams you played against, who was the top players that you played against in there? Um, the ones well, that really stood out for you? Well, funny enough, my first year down there, I think in five seasons uh, or six seasons, it was the only season Liverpool didn't they win the league. The other five they did. Right. But that first season I was down there, uh, Aston Villa won the league and, and they were competing with, with, with Ipswich. And Ipswich had a great team, you know, with the likes of the Mariner and, and Brazil. And, and Tyson and Muren were in that team. They both went on to Man United. Man United had Stapleton and, and Big Gordon McQueen, uh, Coppo, um, Ray Wilkins, you know, uh, Liverpool, Douglas, Rush, oh, wow. uh, Sunis, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the standard was unbelievable. And, and every game was a hard game. There was good players. A lot of Scottish players were playing down there too at the time. Right. So the standard was excellent. And as I say, I think that um, looking back now, because almost every year, whoever won the league, that in, in England at that time also went on to win the European, European Cup. Cup right. You know what I mean? Liverpool were winning it. Ipswich uh, won Villa. The, uh, Villa won the they won the league for the first time and then won the European Cup. Nottingham Forest had done it two years in a row. So that was the standard. There's another team that were a great team at the time, Forest and all that. Yeah. So the standard was really high and I, I, I enjoyed pitting your wits against it because you, you couldn't ever have this when you're at Rangers, the belief is almost you're gonna to have to win because if you, if you have three defeats in a row at Rangers, it's a crisis, you know what I mean? Mm. Same with Celtic, you have to win all the time. Your fans will want you to win home and away. Whereas at Brighton, you were going games you knew were going to be tough games away from home, but you went and enjoyed it. You and know? you knew you were getting a beer after it. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what was the well, story? They used to say drinking on the bus. Did they start drinking on the bus, they, didn't they? They used to say, they, they had, it was almost like a, a, a flight. We had, we had a bus, <laughs> we had a bus with, with stewards on the bus serving food and drink. Did you? Uh-huh, and they were serving beers and wine and that and they weighed back after the game. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> what, was the, what was the story behind your uh, wee return to Rangers on loan, was it? Yeah, uh, it was a weird one. I was, I, I'd fallen out of favour a wee bit with Mike Bailey, the manager, uh, Brighton at the time. I hadn't been playing and uh, I got a phone call. It was actually, John Gregg phoned me first and said, are you willing to come back and loan? And I said, I'll think about it. And I went to speak to Jimmy Amelia, who was the head scout of Brighton at the time. And I went and see him and I said, look, I says, Rangers want me for a month's loan. And he said, I think you should go. And he goes, he says, you'll be up there. He says, this was the end of December. It was the League Cup final was going to be played. And he said, uh, you'll be up there for a month. You'll be with your family over Christmas. You'll come back down here in January. He says, when you come back down here in January, I'll probably be manager. That's really? what he said. Uh-huh. That's what he said to me. And I went, so he goes, don't say to, to MD about that. And sure enough, it was when I came back down. There was all sorts going on back oh, in the day, oh, It was there? unbelievable. <laughs> he told me that, right? So what happened was, Tom McLean then phoned me and he said, are you going to come? John says, I have to phone you. He was, he was assistant to John Gregg. And I went, yeah. I says, uh, I'll, be, I'll be up Monday. And he goes, Monday? I went, yeah, because I know you've got the cup final on Saturday, so I'll, I'll be with you on Monday. And he goes, 
no, we want you for the final. I said, do you want me in loan to play in the cup final? And he went, yeah. And I thought that was wrong. Do you know what I mean? I thought somebody's going to be dropped out of the team uh, for me to play in the final. I don't, I don't think that was right. But I said, what if I don't... But still done it anyway. Well, because he said, <laughs> he said the, only, the only time that I had to go ahead, if it was that day, I had to go up that day on the Thursday and, and sign that day and be ready for the final on the Saturday. But, so I, I thought it was wrong. I shouldn't have done it, but it was one of those things... I went, okay, I'll do it, and I went and played in the final. And how was Greg, John Greg with you when you went back? He was fine, he was all right with me then, but if I, I played in the final, then I played one league game, and then he, he didn't speak to me again for the, for the rest of the month. I, he must have been getting beaten in the final, must have uh, turned, up, turned uh, him on me because I, I let him down, obviously. How I did got, you play in the final? I, I didn't play uh, that bad, but I got brought down for the... We got a free kick he scored from him, and I got brought down for it, so I, got, I, I contributed in that way, but I didn't contribute in any goals or anything like that. Right, okay. But, so I played in the final, played one league game, and then he didn't speak to me. Even when I was leaving, when my month loan was up, I, I leaving, he never spoke to me to say cheerio or anything like that. I just left. And when I went back down to Brighton, by this time, Jimmy Emilio was the manager. So he, was, he welcomed me back in and said, I'm glad you're back, you've been playing. Because what also I, uh, I did was I, I trained hard during that spell with Rangers, in my, even my, my time off with the fitness coach because I wanted to be fit when I went back he knew down. that he was getting the job yeah. right one thing I need to ask you about I'm sorry is Smith must score yeah oh no I don't mind talking about it because uh, it was one of those I watched situations. it last night I don't think it's that, big, I don't think it's that big, big a sitter well no it's, 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 it gets mentioned more people when people see it they always say that it wasn't bad but what happened was I get the ball I made a mistake I'll tell you why I made the mistake I actually thought I anticipated that Gary Bailey was going to come towards me so I thought I had to hard and low close to his feet so that he can't get down for some reason, and it was the right reason, he, he dived, uh-huh. but he dived the wrong way, right. and it stuck in at his feet. And when I went for the rebound, it was stuck in his legs, and he, and he gathered it, and he got it. And I, I'll never forget it. As I turned away, I'm thinking, oh, God, I should have scored there. The final whistle went. It was like, that, that was oh, the timing. That's, uh-huh. that's, why, that's why it got so much recognition, because like last minute, a cup final to win it for a team like Brighton, a smaller team who'd never been, they'd never been past a quarter-final before, they'd never even been to a quarter-final before we got there. This year they're in the semi-final, which is great. Yeah. So, i never forget it. But the people down there have been brilliant, but I, I find it hard to accept. I should have done better, because I just think I blew it. You know, I scored the first goal that day to put us 1-0 up, which helps, especially with the Brighton fans. They always, they're always good to me about that, the fact, oh, you scored for us in the cup final. But I'll never get over the fact that I made that miss. Could you hear John Gregg cheering for Glasgow when that goal is saved? Yeah, I think, I think Rangers got beat that day as well, right? Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but the fans never gave you a hard time for not, it? Not in Brighton, no, and no. neither the players did or, the, or Jimmy Mueller. They, they, they actually saw the. I remember once we, we'd get, they were doing a bit of a film after it, I think it was the next night they were doing it, and uh, Jimmy Mueller, it was the first time he'd seen the footage of it, and he went, Oh, he says, that, that, that's not as bad a miss as I thought it was. That's what he said as well. Yeah. So, you have to accept it. But the thing was, I mean, it, it was one of these things uh, that, as I say, I, I'll never, uh, whenever you can talk about my career, that's the one thing that will always come up, and I, I have to, I get used to it now. Mm-hmm. I, I've got to talk about it, you know, and that's it. Right, okay. And then another big club, you went to Man City. Yeah, went to Man City. Uh, Billy McNeil uh, bought me there, because, so obviously... Billy McNeil loves you, didn't he? Oh, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. after wanting me to go to Aberdeen, mm-hmm. and uh, he was, he, he came on for me. It was quite a funny thing as well, because what happened was, uh, typically me, you might say, I fell out with the manager, uh, Chris, Chris Catlin, took over for Jimmy Amelia. And uh, I, I had a few words with him, fell out with him, and I had been bombed out for about two or three weeks. And now all of a sudden one day, I was going to go with the, the, the reserves to train, when it was splitting into two groups, and Sammy Nelson, who was the assistant to Chris Catlin, shouted to me, 
Smudger, he's called me, Smudger, you're with us. I was like, the first team, he went, yeah. So I went with the first team training. Then afterwards, they came in and announced the squad to go for the match, which was in Derby the next day. And I was in the squad, and it meant we'd to travel up that night. Team's picked the next day, I'm in the team. And we played Derby, and I scored. I scored a good goal. Danny Wilson made my goal, and I scored my Danny beat. Wilson, he was my manager at Sunday. Is that right? Yeah, yeah Danny guy, was, Danny, yeah. <laughs> he, he, was, uh, he, he made my goal. We won a 3-1 or something like that, a 3-0. And the uh, next day, I got a phone call and it was Billy McNeil. And he said, hi, Gordon. He said, um, I see you were playing yesterday. I went, yeah. I says, uh, I was quite surprised we were playing. He goes, I'll tell you why you were playing. He says, I went in and made a bid for you on Friday. Uh, Thursday, was sorry. I made a bid for you on Thursday. And I went, all right. I says, so they're trying to negotiate. He goes, yeah. He says, that's why you're playing. So Chris Catlin then called me in his office uh, on the Monday. And uh, he said, I uh, um, offered a bid from Manchester City, Gordon. I was like, oh, really? You know, I had to pretend I didn't know because Bill and And he goes, but I don't want you to go. He says, he says after, he says, I know I've not been playing you. He says, but you did so well for us on Saturday. He says, I think you could be a vital part of this team. And I said, I just stood up and I went. Um, a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just accept the bid. I'm going. Stick your goodbye. Yes, <laughs> goodbye. So that's what happened. And I went up and, and uh, signed for Billy McNeil. How was Billy McNeil? Was I, I liked him. Oh, he was great. He was... It could be a bit moody at times in terms of like, you didn't know how, if it was going to be a good mood in the morning when he came in or a bad mood. And if it was a bad mood, you get a hard time from him. Even if you were, if you were in the treatment room, he'd come into the treatment room and, and ask, what, what are you doing in here? What's wrong with you? That's, that's, I, I would have played with that. You can get out and play, you know. Right, so. them, but in the main, I got on great with him. He was had so much respect for him as well because he could talk to you. He was the type of guy as well who, who could uh, say, be, be, say good things to you and bad things, carrot and stick, but he could also give you praise. If he did well, he would be first to say it, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Was, did you ever get a laugh for the Celtic like Rangers thing, or was it? Oh, we used to get, we get a laugh about it, yeah, okay. because he was, 
um, he was always like, you know saying about uh, he was talking about nine in a row and all that at right. that time because obviously then Rangers hadn't done the nine in a row at that point uh, so he would throw that in he would say like oh well you were at Kilmarnock in those days right enough Gordon he would give it all that you know <laughs> no he was good he, he was he was great company uh, brilliant uh, you went abroad to Austria and Switzerland with Basel yeah I was at Austria where I'd meet Avaka first uh, I went over there and um, I was I was Dave Fairclough who was my teammate at uh, Oldham told me about an agent who had been, because Billy McNeil had actually said to me, there's a team from Austria interested in you and all that. And, I was like, and then when I went to Oldham on loan, Dave Fairclough, who was the ex-Liverpool player, said, eh, I hear you didn't want to go to Austria. I said, what do you mean? He goes, he says, my agent that took me to Switzerland, he'd been in Switzerland, he says, told me that. So I phoned, I said, give me his number, I phoned the guy up and then that, that generated the whole move and I went to Austria. I just wanted to experience international football because in those days I was also heading towards thinking I might be a coach or a manager and I wanted to build my, my knowledge of the game both in the you know UK and abroad see different methods and see stuff different like that, methods yeah. and training systems and the training systems over there were far superior to the UK at that time in what, in what way? they had doctors in in those days taking, taking measurements from you and taking blood from your ear to work out the lactic acid to see what your recovery rate was and all that your heart rate everything, your body fat, everything. It was unbelievable, the difference from UK. And what they did was then, they set training programs. They put you into, they, they determined which position you were in in terms of how fit you were. And then you got a training program to suit how fit you were and also one to work on your weaknesses as well. Right. So it was miles so specific ahead. training programs. Specific training programs, yeah. Is that, see, going abroad, is that something that you'd encourage? Because not a yeah. lot of players do it in Scotland. No, de- I would encourage it. I think it's great. I mean, I went over there. It was hard at first sight because none of my teammates could speak German. Not one of them. My manager couldn't. None of my coaches. I was every day. I just went and sat in the dressing room till training. We went out to train and just followed what everybody else was doing. And but so what it made it made me have to learn German, and and it was great for me because I worked hard at it. And before after about six months, it took me about six months to become good at it and become pretty fluent. And then. <laughs> It's great when you actually can speak the language and you can, you know, interact with your teammates, teammates and chat yeah. and all that. That was brilliant. So I, it was, it was the best thing that none of them could speak German because it put the onus on me. You know, I bet you they didn't go drink none of them. Speak English, I should say. <laughs> no, they, they did go. They did go. Uh, they didn't go drinking. You know, the funny thing about them was, uh, they, they they said that well, you, you mustn't drink professional players. The manager had to say one night we were away on a, 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 a trip and it was a winter trip because of the winter break over there. And the manager had to say to him, have a glass of wine with your meal and they're like, no. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm ordering it. Now, they, they thought drinking was bad for you. See, of the 18 first-team squad, 14 smoked. Oh, they're on there. Uh-huh. 14 <laughs> smokers. The manager smoked, the, the assistant manager, the physio, the doctor. Uh-huh. We were travelling the bus to a game. They'd all be sitting smoking. Well, in the <laughs> Smoke bus. machine on the bus. Yeah, there was only four of us not smoking. So they, they, thought, they thought drinking was bad for you, but they didn't think smoking was. You Brilliant. Uh, playing career, great career. Uh, Post playing, he's talked about coaching, and, but he never ever became a manager. Why was that? No, I, well, I, I had the chance. I went to Tony Fitzpatrick. Had been in the coaching course. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I was I was at a coaching course with Tony, and right out of the blue, I'd been. I went. I left football and went into financial services because I I was trained up in that as well. While I was playing football, I went and did some courses in financial services. So I was working for a company in London, and uh, I got a call from Tony Fitzpatrick. Uh, but two years after quitting playing, he said, listen, he said, um, Frank McGarvey, uh, my assistant's going to Queen of South. He says, assistant manager's job's there. He says, I liked what you, the way you did things at the coaching course, what you had to say. Would you like to come in as my assistant? And I said, well, okay, I'll think about it. And then I went back to him and I said, right, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I went in with Tony and that's how I started my, I, I was three years at St Mirren. I had Tony Fitzpatrick, then Tony resigned and then I got Davy Hay. Then Davy went to America 
and then I got Jimmy Bone, and then I resigned. So that was right. how it worked. Yeah. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> but see, when you were assistant manager, was there no wee desire there to be an actual manager? Yeah, there was. I, I, that was my plan was to, to move on to that. Um, I did apply. When Jimmy Bone got the job, uh, David Hay left. I, got, I was in for the job to be the manager. And it was quite funny because the, the chairman of, of um, St Mirren said to me, I've got good news and bad news for you, Gordon. I says, uh, what's the good news? And he goes, uh, your interview was the best we got. And I says, so the bad news is I'm not getting the job. And he went, yeah. <laughs> Did he say why? No, I just said, Jimmy Bones coming back. He's an ex-player. He's a big name at St Mirren. Uh, we're bringing him in. I right. thought, oh, all right, that's fine. So that was the good news and bad news. I thought, right, okay, I thought the see. good news first would be you're getting the, the job. job. <laughs> but the bad news is the money's crap, you know, but, uh -huh. what I mean? but that was it. But I had the chance to go... I, I, it was maybe a big decision in those days, but I had the chance to go to um, Aston Villa as assistant manager with oh, John, John Gregory, Gregory yeah. And what happened was I'd sat down with the, the owner in those days and uh, we couldn't come to terms. It was only to do with financial... Doug Ellis? Doug Ellis, uh, yeah. yeah. I was in his house and all that with John and the, I couldn't come to terms financially because I was earning money from my agency work, uh, media work and stuff like that. So all I wanted to do was to match that and he couldn't do it. I couldn't believe it. And, and I just said to John Gregory, I'm, I'm not taking the job unless he matches that money. And, and he just said, he came back and said, they're not doing it. Well, so that, that, you did take it? I, I, I regret it now to a certain degree. If, if he'd actually matched the money, I would have taken the job at, at Villa. I'd have gone into Villa. You mentioned the agent stuff. Um, how did you enjoy that? You had some big names. Was it Lambert, Stephen Presley, yeah. Kenny Miller? I enjoyed it because what I felt was, um, my, my idea as an agent was, I believe that, um, that you should actually look after, I had a lot of young players as well, but I believe you should, a player should make decisions based on his football career rather than money. I always think that it's best that, uh, you know, my, my own self, was that, that move to Brighton was, it turned out to be good money-wise, but the thing was, uh, in the end up, it was a good move football-wise, but I, w I hadn't been thinking about that at the time. But because I'd been through that experience, I thought, if a player's going to make a move, because even when Kenny Miller had the chance to go to Rangers, I was his agent, I'd just done a deal with Hibs for him, and he got the chance to go to Rangers, I said to him, are you sure this is right, Kenny? I'm only, I'm, I, it's only if you really want to go, you think you can do well. I said, because... I think you're going to go there. I don't think you're going to be first choice if you go there, although you're a big sign and all that. And he goes, no, I want to go there. I want to go and play. And I said, okay. Now, it maybe has helped him, but you look at the great career he's had. I mean, even now, I mean, he's still playing away now. That was when he was 19 years of age. So that was about 20 years ago nearly. You know what I mean? So you're, you're looking at that, a guy. So when I did the deals for people, I always wanted them to make the football decision. Did it help that you maybe were financially stable? Because I feel like agents now just, as you say, push players to a move yeah. for themselves to make money. Totally. I, I think you're absolutely right, side. Because what happened was I, was I was earning good money from the media side of things. I was doing radio, television, newspaper columns and that. And, and I was earning good money without the, foot, the agency Agent money. Stuff, okay. You're absolutely spot on. If, if, you, if that was your only job, you know, in, some, in terms of some people, it is their only business. You can imagine what they're like. They're thinking, oh, I can earn from this. I need this move to go through. A lot of times they're pushing moves. Some of the agents, I know yeah. that for a fact, they want, their, they want their player to be moved on just so they can earn from it. You're, you're right. And it might have been, luckily, from my point of view, that I didn't have to do that. You were loaded. Um, <laughs> any funny dealings with managers? Um, no, funny, funny dealings at times with, uh, with some of the, the, the chairman. I remember going down to... A club down south, and it was, uh, it was. I'll not mention any names, but I always remember. I phoned my friend, was uh, head, one of the heads of the the PFA down in England. So I just phoned him up and said, uh, "I'm going to visit this club." I said, "What's the kind of wage levels like?" I said, "Don't need to tell me the players." He said, "Okay, we've got all the contracts here." So he came back and he said, um, "The highest wage is uh, fifteen thousand a week," and I was like, "Okay." So I went to deal with the chairman. I sat down with him, and he goes. 
hey, we're going to make your player the highest paid player at the club. I was like, oh, that's good. He's like, like £12,000 a week. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I said, really? And he went, yeah, that's the highest paid? He went, yes. I says, that's not what I know. And he goes, what do you mean? I says, your highest paid player's 15. How do you know that? I said, doesn't matter how I know it. I says, I now know you're telling me lies. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, I'm quite happy you're going to make my player the highest paid player. So, what is it, 16? Are they talking about there? And they went, okay. So you got to 16? <laughs> yeah. No way it is. You got 16 because you just, because <laughs> you'd said that, your highest paid player. Because a lot of, that's what you learn from the game. A lot of the times, unless you've got the information and you've got the contacts, which I was quite lucky. Mm -hmm. Because, I, I mean, it was good in that respect, being able to, to, to have no people. I didn't ask for any names of what the money was, but I, I did contacts that I could find out exactly the kind of money people were earning. A lot of agents wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah, brilliant. Because uh, everyone views it as quite a glamorous job. Is it all it's cracked up to be? No, not really. No, I find it's, it's frustrating. It was, um, you know, I had, I had a player who uh, was in Scotland. I will say his name, Scott Severn. Yeah. I looked after Scott Severn. And I said to Scott, um, his contract was coming up. I said, well, you want to go to England? Yes. And I came by and I said, right, OK, I've got a couple of teams in the, it was the old First Division Championship now. Yeah. I said, and he goes, oh, no, he goes, I want to play in the, the top league. I said, well, I've, I've spoken to Scott. And he went, he says, oh, no, I've got an agent's told me he can get me in the, the top league. I went, I don't think he can. I said, I know everybody. And he goes, no, this agent says he has. I said, well, do you want to leave me and go to him? And he went, yeah, if, I, I would rather do that. And I went, that's OK, you can just leave me now. So he did, and he, who did he sign for? Aberdeen, oh, right? Dear. So that just shows you, people, agents were telling him lies that he could get him, because if he'd been a, a top league club, he would have gotten there, wouldn't he? But yeah. he didn't, he went to Aberdeen. So this guy got him away from me, and he ends up there. So that, that, this is what you get a lot, was people were, were telling players lies. Is it cutthroat? How would they oh, eat? yeah, uh, cut, very cutthroat, uh, yeah. Right, okay. Uh, talking to cutthroat SFA chief executive. Yeah. How did, uh, how did that opportunity come about? Uh, it came about, it was basically because I met, I was going into Hamden one day and I met uh, George Pete, the chairman, was leaving and he said to me, uh, how are you doing? I was like, fine. He goes, uh, have you applied for the job? And I said, I said, no. And he goes, no. He says, uh, your name's come up a few times, you know, thinking of applying for it. And I went, no, I don't. I'm not applying. So uh, that was it left. Next thing I got a phone call from uh, an agency the employment agency said, um, you know, recruitment agency said, uh, we're, we've, your name's been given to us. Um, the chairman, the president, Mr. Pete, says, you know, uh, you might be interested in the job. I says, I'm not. And he goes, well, see, we'd like you to come for an interview. I said, well, when's the interviews? He said, the final interviews are this Friday. This was about the Monday or the Tuesday of that week. The final interviews are on Friday. I said, where are they? And he went, Hamden. I said, no, nah, forget it. And he went, why not? I said, I'm not coming to Hamden. Everybody will know why I'm there. I know why I'm coming there and getting an interview and then you're not getting the job. So he went, okay, he went off the phone, came back about an hour later, right, your interviews on Monday in our offices in uh, Nelson Mandela Square. He said, we, we, we'll take you on your own. So I went along and it was quite funny because I, I had no intention of taking the job. So Why I, not? I just didn't, I just didn't think I wanted it. Well, wasn't I, it I was, your field? Or? No, I was, I, was, I was happy with everything else I was doing. I, right. I, was, I was earning good money at agency and, and my media work and all that. And then, uh, so it was quite relaxed in the interview. I just said exactly what, what I thought. thought I, didn't, I wasn't thinking, what will I say here to get this job? I just yeah. gave my opinion. And next thing was they phoned me up and said, uh, the job's yours. So I was quite shocked. So it was a case of then having to think about it. And it was heart, heart of the head. You know, the, the heart was saying, uh, take the job, Gordon, because that'd be a great thing to get involved in the Scottish game and maybe make changes. The head was saying to me, don't do it, you know, because it's like, you never know what it's going to be like, you know what I mean? But in, in a lot of ways, the frustrating thing for me was I hadn't done any due diligence on it, so I didn't know that you'd no powers in the job. 
you're, you're, you're the chief exec, but actually every decision gets made by a committee or the board. So oh, all you can do is, yeah. What you was can, your aims going in? What, what did you want to change? I, I wanted to change a few things. Like, you know, one of the first things I wanted to change was the fact that um, the, the, the runner-up in the Scottish Cup couldn't be in Europe. Because what I said was, because of the, the coefficiency now, we're getting runners-up who actually haven't played a hard game all the way through to the final get beaten in the final and end on Europe. Europe, right. When, and it's affecting the Scottish uh, European coefficient. Because then they don't, they're, no, they're no good enough to qualify for the European competition. Exactly, and less teams are qualifying because of that, because yeah. their coefficients come down. So that was one of the first things I tried to do. No, I had to go to a board meeting, I couldn't do it. And, and, and by the time the board meeting came about, the new season had started and we were too late to do it because I just felt, they, they do it now, they don't, they don't do it now. But there's other things I want to do in terms of, I agreed, I got the players to agree not to take fees for playing for their country, which was fantastic. I got the, uh, I said to the board I would do it. I had to ask them if they'd let me discuss and negotiate with the players and the players agreed. They said they would take no money for playing for Scotland. But what I said, I would give them a bonus if they qualify for a major tournament, which they haven't done yet, but right. they, that's how they were getting the money. I don't know if Again, that's- the carrot, set yes, the carrot thing ahead. Correct. I don't know if that's changed, side, but that yeah. was the kind of thing. But so uh, there's a lot of things like that that I felt um, needed changed in the game, you know, and, and the good thing about it was my, my most happiest times, fun enough, when I was in SFA was I got on the board, on, not the board, I got on the committee of UEFA football committee and I got on the UEFA the FIFA football committee. I was just going to, I seen that, yeah. I was going to ask it, was it Franz Beckenbauer that was on it? Franz Beckenbauer got me on, he was in the UEFA one and because I speak German, when I met Franz Beckenbauer, I started chatting to him in German and he loved that. And he was like, oh, you speak German? And we chatted away and the experience. And next thing was I got invited to the, to the FIFA, on the FIFA committee. Now, I'll tell you a funny story because when I got there, the first meeting I went to, it was in Zurich, right, at the FIFA offices. And I got there late because the plane was delayed. And I went into the meeting and I, I was front row and I, I apologised to Franz Bettinger. He was up the top, sat down. And uh, after an hour, it was a coffee break. So you go out and get your coffee and go and sit at a table. So I went out, went and sat at the table. Franz Beckenbauer came and sat beside me to talk. I said, how are you doing, Gordon? Welcome. And then who sat across me? Pelly. Then it was Eusebio, Bobby Charlton, wow. Michel Platini, Dino Zoff. I thought, if there was a team getting picked here, I wouldn't get in it. You know what I mean? Like, honestly. Do you think they were sitting saying Gordon Smith, Franz Beckenbauer? <laughs> biggest name. I, Gordon Smith, they probably don't remember me. But, the, but one of the best uh, incidents I had from that, on that committee was we had to meet uh, after a few meetings. One of the meetings we had one day was to, we, we had to de decide on what a non-goal was in football, which, which, uh, what would be we considered to be a non-goal. Right. And so we had a big debate on it, sort of thing. And I actually then said, I've, I've got my I've got my idea what an on goal should be. I said, see if the ball, see if the original effort from the player is on target and deflects in, that player gets the credit. See if the original effort is not on target and deflects into the net, that's an on goal. I said, so even these ones now, where the ball hits the post, hits the goalkeeper and goes in, the, the player sometimes gets that goal. I don't think he should because that's an on goal because the ball wasn't going in the net. Net, right? Who seconded it? Pelly. Did he? Yeah. What hands did Pelly, Pelly stood up and said, uh, I would like to second uh, Gordon's uh, point there. And I, I would say that's what I agree to. That is now the rule. Wow. See, if, see if you check it, that is the rule for yeah, an on goal. Rule, yeah. So you and Pelly. So me and Pelly decided that. Brilliant, eh? <laughs> Thanks to Pelly. That was, that <laughs> what was, a story that is, that was, that was like getting a pass for Pelly <laughs> in the match, wasn't it? You know, yeah. See, being a small nation, obviously you said you got your point in the on goal. Was it hard to kind of put your point across? Um, no, it was okay. I think it was it was good. They were they were actually that that football committee were 
were good. The only thing they were they were kind of slow in deciding on things because even things like uh, I, I actually recommended in those days that we should have uh, look at the, the video footage immediately in a, in a match situation. Like a VAR? Yes, right. a VAR. It was it wasn't called VAR then, but I said, and and you know the funny thing was it was Franz Beckenbauer actually put me down on it because what I said was like tennis. You have each. What I said was each um, technically there should have two twice in a game where they can actually. Uh, ask for the footage to be seen so you get two challenges but if you get them right you still keep them and, and Franz Beckenbauer went Gordon football and tennis are very different games you know that's what I'm saying yeah I'm not making that I wasn't saying they're the same game but I was trying to make the point because in those days you know it's still now the tennis player gets two yeah, challenges, challenges yeah, in and out yeah, yeah, yeah. But, they, that, but they were very slow to move on things even things like goal line technology they voted it out at first and I was all in favour of that as well so there's things like that that were a bit slow on but as I say, the, the on-goal thing, we had to make a decision on it, so that wasn't as if it was anything modern, but it was just I was just glad that it got brought in because right. I felt I felt it was the right way forward and at least Pelly agreed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just on set butter, obviously a lot's been made on. Could you see that back then that there was uh, yeah, he was he was a nice wee guy, right? He was he was friendly wee guy and all that. But what we found was see, see when we had the we had a, we had the IFAB meeting in Scotland at that time. It was this year again, right. far enough. Of, I think it's every five or six years it comes to Scotland. So we set, we got the uh, FIFA got in touch with us and said we'll be flying in in a private jet, and we want all the staff picked up on a on a very nice coach. Had to be a luxury coach, except for Mr. Blatter who wants to get into a, a limousine to be driven. So he he wouldn't even get in the coach with the rest of the staff. He had to get a limo, chauffeur-driven limo to Glen Eagles, where the thing was. And then Glen Eagles, he had to have a, a suite. It wasn't a room he yeah, had to have, yeah. he had to have a suite. That's how he lived his life. You know, I can imagine that he, he probably, like, his whole life, his whole year was just everything getting paid from, getting special gifts and yeah. hotels and all that. But that's what he said to us, a limousine to the, to the hotel and a suite in, in Glen Eagles. Dirty that's, big ball, he said. That, that, that's Mr Blatter. <laughs> yeah, that's his life. Uh, Euro 2008 qualifying. Back home, uh, what were the parts that you enjoyed? In the, in the qualifying? Yeah. I think I think that was the, one of the biggest thrills I got was the no doubt the James McFadden goal Brilliant. in France. Yeah, you know, see when you got to have a bit of decorum. See when you're sitting with the with the people from the the other um, federation. We're sitting with the French people that night, and what you normally do, you have to be nicely behaved. Even if you score a goal, you normally just go nice yeah. goal, like you know. And, <laughs> but we we actually overreacted totally that night. They were looking at us as if to say, well, "What's going on?" We're saying. They don't realise how big a night this is yeah. to win in France and Jim McFadden, it was a fantastic goal. It was right out of the blue, you know, mm. but we couldn't help ourselves with our, our celebration. You know? Would you just get to go down and celebrate with the players or was it? No, we never did no, that. never no. done that. No, no. We, just, we just stayed away for that, yeah. Uh -huh. how, uh, how hard was it to take the night, Italy, put us out? That's tough. I think it was a harder one than the one before that because I think we lost in Georgia. And that was that was worse because if we had the good result in Georgia, it, it meant it took the the pressure off the Italian game. You know what I mean? And then we went over to Georgia. I think we had one or two players missing, but we didn't play well, and that blew it for us. That meant the Italian game we had to win. Still on the night, we, we had opportunities. We could have done better. We lost a bad goal, remember? And that was a bit, that was a big blow because I thought we're going to get here and, and get there. This, the next thing that's why I was involved also in the vote to extend the number of teams in the European Championships because I thought. If it goes up to 24, what a great chance, chance we've got. got. And, and I, was, I was one of the people that pushed for that with UEFA to get more teams in and then we still couldn't make it. See, we did qualify for that 
tournament, do you think the future of Scottish football would have been different? I think so. I think it would have been given us a, a big boost because we're getting, we're getting a bit of apathy now about it. We're, we're, I mean, even they're talking a lot of talk just now, but the fans are losing interest. They're not turning up for games because it's so long. We've got a generation now of kids, of young people who've never seen Scotland in a, a major finals. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And even in recent years there, you've got Ireland, Northern Ireland playing in them and, and Wales and all that. So we really need to get back to it. We need to lift the game because there are a lot of good players about. The Scottish football is getting knocked down, but there are, there are a lot better players than what people think. I go and watch kids' football too, and there's a lot of talent at young ages as well. I think one of the big problems we have, though, is the fact that a lot of the times when it gets to the professional level, it gets coached out of kids. I think that that's one of the, the major problems I've seen is they, they actually t- tend to stop the kids being individualistic. Yeah. And, and say stop the fancy stuff just make a simple pass and all that how would Davia Cooper play now eh? correct to take away from that you, you know Lionel Messi wouldn't have made it in Scotland uh, you, you believe that yep he wouldn't have made it here okay. probably somebody would have stopped him dribbling honestly right, okay. uh, see that tournament did you think Alex McLeish would leave after that game in, in uh, after the Italy game Italy game no I didn't but uh, it was a bit of a shock when uh, he told me he was leaving uh, I was a bit disappointed because he'd done so well but the thing was I then, when I asked him why he was leaving, uh, he then explained it to me very well. He just said a, a, a sum to me, a number of money, a bit of money. You got your Brighton deal, uh, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got my Brighton deal, and I was like, okay, I know why you're leaving now. Yeah. How did you find the process of appointing a new manager for the first time? That was that was tough as well because I didn't. I thought I would have. I thought I would have a say in it, but I didn't. It was a case of um, limiting it down, getting the names, and, and then it goes to the board. It's a board decision. So mm-hmm. I, I actually. I thought that I would I would be able to choose the manager being a chief exec, but I wasn't. And would George Burley have been your choice? Uh, George Burley would have been one of my candidates, yeah, but not my first choice. No. Who would have been your first choice? I can't tell you that. Oh, really? And did you put your choice to the board, though? And it was... Yeah, no, it would have been Graham Soonis would have been my first choice. Right. It would have been Graham Soonis. He, he came on for an interview, but it went to the board, the board meeting, and... Uh, he, he never got the job? No, that was he was one of the ones that came for the interview. And were you told why he never got it? Uh, yeah, it was just basically he didn't... Conf- Conform to what they, they were wanting. Yeah. So, yeah. So, George Burley became the, the strong candidate. George Burley had, I think he had done done well though. Was it He's done well at Hearts and he was now at Southampton, you know. So, uh, the problem was with it, I actually, what happened was when he got the job, it was the job based on the fact was that he would, um, I'd have to negotiate with Southampton what his, what his ter- terminal fee would be to get yeah. him out. So, I phoned Southampton to discuss that, but they, they made it known to the press that George Burley was going to be the next Scotland manager. And, and I hadn't even informed the others yet that I'd been interviewed because if I couldn't agree a fee for George Burley, that was ruling him out. So I didn't want to, I couldn't tell the others, you're not getting the job and then go back and say so. Him. But I thought it would have been quiet, but unfortunately what happened was the, the press got the word and it was leaked out, George Burley's the new Scotland manager and the other candidates were annoyed by the fact that they hadn't been told that they weren't getting it. Do you know what I mean? Job, right. yeah. uh-huh. uh, why, why do you think it went wrong for George Burnley? I don't know, really. I think uh, I think maybe just the job. I think he was more used to being a day-to-day manager. I think he found it hard to be the manager. But in fairness to him, though, if you look at it, I think, I think we only lost, we only failed to qualify on goal difference. Mm. I think it was goal difference. And so it wasn't that bad. You know, the one of the worst results, I think we lost in Norway, was a bad result for us when we lost over there. But in the, in the end up of, of the recent years where we failed to qualify, I think George Burley was probably the, the closest to qualifying for a tournament because it was goal difference. Difference, uh, yeah. Uh, what did you find that the biggest difficulty uh, in getting to Scotland where you think the nation thinks it should be? 
biggest difficulty. I think I think it's just the fact is that we're um, we've just got to get the players, the right set of players and experienced players in the team because I think we're building the team again just now. The team that played recently were all uh, basically a young team. I mean, I, I mean, I made the point when I did an interview for Sky that I said that I said if you look at it, Alec McLeish has almost got as many caps as the whole team put together okay, uh-huh. that played against uh, you know. Kazakhstan. So you're looking at the situation saying we need to get these players need to get more experience. So, so the team keeps changing about and rather than having them in because I was I was checking back to the game where we played well against England. We maybe should have beat England at Hamden game. Mm-hmm. There was only one player playing again in last week that played against England, and that's only just last year. Really? Yeah, it was only Armstrong was the only player. So there's the no team. consistency really no, in the team. No, just chopping and changing all the time. Exactly. We lost McGregor in goals, but we lost like it's a bit. Uh, you know, you, you had. Um, Crystal Berra, you had Mulgrew, you know what I mean? You, you had Snodgrass and you had Brown and team. You know what I mean? That's getting experienced players at high play at high level. These guys we've got now are just coming through, but they could become good players. I think Bates and McKenna could become good, really class sure players. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, see, when you're a chief exec, what kind of relationship do you have with the manager? Is it a day to day thing or is it? Uh, you, you, you speak to them. Uh, no, it's not day to day. Not not at all because they're not they're not there all no, the time. Not to speak about. No, they're not in an office or like that. They're just just now and again. I didn't want to interfere um, with them. The only the only time I interfered, and I was and I, I said to. George Burley, I, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I think you made a mistake. He left out that game in Norway, I'm talking about, he left David Weir out of that team. And I think David Weir should have been playing because he was an experienced player. It was going to be a night where defensively was the most crucial element to our game. And he didn't play him. He, pl- he played the two Caldwell brothers that night right. in the game. And he left out David Weir. And I, and I did say to him, I wouldn't normally ever say this because it's your job. I'm not here to criticise, but I think you made a mistake there. And how did he react to that? He goes, well, just my team, I, I picked the team. Right, that's okay. it. Um, how did you get on with Craig Levine? Um, I got on fine with him actually, I did. I got on well with him. I hadn't gone well with him before. We weren't um, best of friends because I was quite critical of him when he was a manager and he wasn't too happy with it. Um, a lot of people said that uh, I wouldn't, he wouldn't get the job uh, when he was nominated for it because I was in charge. But the thing was, I wasn't appointing him anyway. So at the end of the day, he got the job, but I got on, I got on well with him. Right, and so see, it was during his reign that you decided to leave. Yeah, was it, it was due to your relationship with him? No, then, nothing to do with him at all. No, right. no, no, no. It was nothing to do with that. I, I just decided. I just was frustrated by the whole thing in terms of, um, you know, the powers I had, how it was going, and I just thought I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. There was, there was another one where it got, it got thrown out where I'd, I'd actually been at a match and somebody had dived in the game. It was just a, a lower division game. And uh, I actually said after the other, the other the opposition player got sent off for it, and I said to people later on, I said that was um, it was shouldn't have been sent off for that. That was obviously simulation and all that. And the, the chairman of the club, the, the the lower division club, sent me the the video that which they take of it, and I just handed it into the the people, the the authorities at the, at, the, at Hamden, you know, the refereeing people, and they dealt with it. But the next thing was when it went to the when the player got brought up before the committee and all that thing, and in this case got looked at, they were saying it was a, a disgrace, it was in the papers and all that, the chairman of the club where the player got sent off, or the player got, was getting uh, done for simulation, said it was a disgrace that I, should, I was involved in this, nothing to do with me, I'm overstepping my role. All I had done was take the tape and handed it on, but because I was involved in it, they tried to make a big fuss, and that was one of the things around about the time when it... I just decided this is enough. See, in that job, does it feel like everyone's trying to get at you? They are, they are to a degree. You, are, you know, you are, you are a target for people. There's no doubt. They, 
they, you know, a lot of times they don't know what has actually happened. You know, it was like, I, I mean, I made a joke about it at the time when, when, when uh, it was uh, Barry Ferguson and, and, and um, Alan McGregor got, remember they got banned? Uh-huh. And because they said, one of the papers, the papers were saying it was a lifetime ban, and I was saying, it wasn't a lifetime ban. I said, you can't play for Scotland all your life. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I, I got slaughtered for that. You know? just <laughs> so like, you're just trying to have a bit of humour. Yeah, yeah, I was a bit of humour saying it's like a, a career ban maybe, uh-huh. not, not a life ban, you know, but that's it. But if you say things like that, they're just, some people just look, looking to, to get you. Hammer you, know, you on hammer it. Hammer you on it, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so you leave, and then Rangers director of football? Yes. How did, who, who offered you that job? Uh, well, I, I met, I was in a, a place one day and I met... Uh, Craig White, and he, and, he, and he then he said to me, he'd like to meet me again. So I met him and I spoke to him about it. He said he was taking over at Rangers. In fact, he'd just taken over and different things about it. And I actually suggested that they have a director of football. I said, you should have a director of football. I wasn't putting myself forward for it at all. I didn't want it really at that time. But what happened was he then asked to meet me again. I went back in to see him and he said, listen, I said, I've been listening. I've been thinking about what you've said and the structure of the club. I think a director of football would be, is required. Would you be interested in taking the job? And I was like, well, I wasn't really thinking about it. So then we started negotiating, obviously, salary-wise, as, 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 as I do, <laughs> as an agent. And uh, I came up uh, with the deal and I just said, okay, I'll take it. And, but I did say to him, you know, are you in here for the long term and all that? And he said, yes, and everything. So Was there any doubts about him? Was there anything that... There was nothing at that stage. It did come later on when, I, when, when you know, I could tell when I started talking to him. I didn't meet him that often, but I remember at times talking to him and I thought, he's not really got a big interest in football, really, you know what I mean? He's just, he's just get in here for the business side of things. He doesn't really know the game, you know what I mean? So I, I didn't really get that from the first chat, chats I'd had with him. But I'd also done a few things that I wanted to change at Rangers. I'd done reports on different things to, to, to make alterations and all that, and, and he wasn't doing it. I'm saying, when are you going to do this? Oh, we'll get around to it, we'll get around to it and all that. And on two occasions I said to him, is there a chance that this club's going into administration? I've heard there's a, a possibility. And he went, he says, oh, it just depends on the big tax case, he said. Big tax right. case is the important thing. I was like, okay. So that was what, that's what I, uh, he said. Only in two occasions he said that. But the, the, when, when, it, when it happened, it was right out of the blue because what happened was he had a meeting with the players and it was two sets of players, first team players and all the other boys. And he met the other players first and he told them, uh, there's a talk about administration, it's in the papers, but I don't think we'll be going into administration. Uh, this uh, We're going to deal with this and that. And the way to meeting the other players, the first team squad, he suddenly got a phone call and he was away for ages on the phone and I spoke to Ali Russell, who was the chief operating officer. I said, we need to speak to the players, what's happening? He goes, I don't know why he's got this phone call. And then when he went back, he went to speak to him and he came back and he said, we're going into administration now. He says, that's it happening right now when he'd been telling the first group of players, it's not going to happen, no. So all of a sudden, and I was, two days later I was out, it was just, I just went to the people, the administrators came in and I just said, um, you know, I'm, I'm not required here anymore. And they're like, not really, not now in your position. I said, well, I'm leaving. Well, I interviewed Ali McCoyston, he said he phoned Craig White and Craig, and said we're going into administration, Craig, and Craig White said, don't worry, Alistair, get the tin hats on, we'll get through this. Uh-huh, and, is that what you said to him? Uh, was there any other, did he have any peculiar... He didn't speak to me after that, to me, no. It just After that all happened, I never spoke to him again at all. I just went to see the administrators when they came in, and then I just said, I'm not required, uh, I'll leave. Is that, is that what you want? And he went like, yeah, that's fine, off the wage bill, and I was like, fine. And so did I'm, you speak to him, have you spoke to him since? Uh, Craig White, no. No? No, not at all. 
so see when you first joined Rangers under Craig Dwight, you could never have seen Rangers going into that, that situation. I didn't think so. No, I didn't. I didn't. I knew there was a problem. Obviously, when David Murray sold the club to him, there must have been some sort of financial problem there. But I didn't see. I thought he was coming in. I thought he had finance. I mean, there was one of the papers said he was a billionaire, didn't they? I mean, I forget which one it was, but they said a billionaire Craig White. You know. So, but I think that I, did, I had no idea at that stage that things were going to be so bad. I thought that he was just going to take the club over and gelt it back up. Maybe we have you to sell it on to other people, mm-hmm. but I never thought for a minute that we're going to go administration. And uh, as I say, I went in there to, to try and... I think clubs do need a director of football because what you get a lot of the times is you get a, a chairman, a, you get a chief exec maybe who's not a football person, you get a manager, and they're interacting. Sometimes you need somebody in between in middle, yeah. who looks at all the aspects of the club. Do you know what I mean? Like the youth development, the medical side of things, the scouting side of things. All these things that need somebody that sits... The manager can't do that. He's too busy looking after his first team and his main concern is keeping his job. So you need somebody that looks after it. And as I say, a chief exec at times is maybe a business side. And at Rangers, you did the scenario where the chief exec was at at Ibrox. So his office is there. So the manager's at Murray Park, you know, Ogden Howie, as they call it now. So you need somebody there, I think, in between. And was that happening when you were in? There was nobody there at that time. that, That was, as I say... Ali Russell had gone in there, no football background at all. Ali McCoyce was the manager. There was nothing in between, and that's why I was suggesting that it was required was, was somebody to go in there and actually take the club forward and, and put in a strategy for the club to get best practice, to go for better practice, but finally to get the best practice for all these, other, all these aspects, as I say, medical, scouting, coaching, everything from youth development all the way through. How did you get on with Ali? I got fine because I said, uh, I said to him, look, I'm going to be involved in, in, in bringing in players as well, but you're going to have first choice on everybody comes in. I'll bring you a name, and, and I did that. I would bring him names of players and say, this player can come in for a week's trial. Uh, are you interested in him? Here's the details on him. We've got some video on him. And then he would make the decision about whether the player came in for a trial or not. So it was, it was never overruled on anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sonia Luca was one of the players we brought in and as I say, he turned out very good. Good player. Would you and Ali speak about Craig White? What was going on behind the scenes? Not really, no. He, he met Craig White more than I did actually. He had more meetings with him than me. Right. I, 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 main guy I spoke with was Ali Russell, who was the chief operating officer. And now and again, Craig White was basically only coming in, basically, normally he came in maybe on a Friday before a home game, but I didn't always see him because he was, he was at Ibrox as well. Sometimes I would go to Ibrox to meet Ali Russell and then he would be there to the meetings. Mainly he was talking about the finance element. He, he was talking about that, about, about transfer fees, how much was available for players and all that sort of thing. That's what he was talking about. And it was limiting it right down to, to what he could spend in players and what players, what the fees would be in terms of us selling players on and things like that. That was the only discussions that I ever had with him. Right, okay. Uh, you pre- previously said you regret taking the job. You still stand by it? No, I regret taking it. Okay. I, it was a mistake uh, because uh, I didn't foresee where it was going. It didn't do me any any good whatsoever. A little bit of experience from doing it, to be fair. Uh, it was interesting to see what was going on in the background there at Rangers and, and how the things were developed in terms of all the different systems. I'll, I'll take that into account, the fact is that I did, it was a learning process for me too. But in terms of just going in there for six months, I played no part in making any changes because any, anything that I was actually going to recommend he wasn't moving Could on never it. have been done with him no. because of the finances. Yeah. So no matter who went in there, it would have been exact same scenario? Exact same scenario. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was that a sinking ship? Uh-huh. Def- well, it was It was a degree, but as I say, I, I wanted to try and, and get things going. There was a lot of good, at youth level, there was an awful lot of good young players coming through. One of them is, is still featuring is Billy Gilmer, 
I, I went to see the under 11s, under 12s, and the standard was tremendous. Even I remember that age group, I'm thinking, this is great to see the little kids, because that was one of the points I was making earlier on side, that see in terms of individual ability, outstanding, and what happens is they don't get coached at that age. The managers don't tell them what to do. What happens is they get older, the coaches start to, to inform them, oh, don't do that, don't do that. And, and then what happens is you see a lowering in the standard of individualism as they get older. And because a lot of the times the ones that maybe want to keep dribbling are actually released, uh-huh. put out. Because you know the ones that were stars at under 11s when they get to under 16 and 17. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. they're not doing what they're, not doing what they're to, being yeah. told, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, despite having left, uh, we got to see what eventually happened to Rangers. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was terrible to see going down that route. I mean, I thought it could definitely have been handled better, as a lot of people have said that and spoken to me about it. They could have been handled a lot better in terms of the club, you know, the finances of the club. They shouldn't have been in administration should have been acceptable, but not getting into receivership as well. That shouldn't have happened. I think that's been bad for the club. The only thing about it is they've gone into the lower divisions, and I've got to say this, that when they're down in the lower divisions, the Rangers never really got credit for one thing. They financed Scottish football very well in the lower divisions when the, with the fans going to matches. Because I, I remember speaking to a few uh, chairmen and, and, and directors of clubs in the lower divisions, they said it was the best time they'd ever had. Because, aye, because of two visits from Rangers this season. Yeah. Uh, see that job? Did, is that kind of scanner if you're going back into football? No, I think I would like to do that that job. I think I would like to be a director of football because I say I think, you know, sporting director of whatever they call it in different places. A lot of people don't like that term because sometimes I get, I get introduced and say uh, Gordon was a director of Rangers and I'm going, no, I wasn't. I wasn't a director. I was director of football. It's a, it's a job title, you know. Yeah. But I think I'd like to do it because I think that there's, I think because of my experience in the game, having played in four countries and also been in the administration in the SFA and things and seen what's going on, I think I've got something to offer the game in that respect in terms of what my, my viewpoint is because I say I'm, I'm very much in favour of, of helping players develop, young players and older players because I think a lot of the times, especially as I say, I played in four countries and the harshest place to play is Scotland in terms of criticism and, and negativity. This is the worst of the four, so we need to improve on that. Yeah. Gordon, thanks very much. Pleasure, Sai. Cheers. Pleasure. Hey, do you know what will go great with this podcast right now? A scrumptious Cadbury snack. Crumbly biscuits smothered in smooth, delicious Cadbury milk chocolate. Oh, yeah. Cadbury snack, the perfect biscuity bite for that mid-morning break. Pick one up in a store today. Vodafone is now Ireland's largest fibre broadband provider. We've got fibre broadband here in Dublin. Here in Clifton. And now here. We could soon be powering this podcast you're about to listen to. So you can wonder on your computer from the comfort of your own sofa. Curiosity is everywhere on Vodafone, Ireland's largest fibre broadband provider. From €30 Euro per month, search Vodafone Gigabit Broadband. Terms apply. Subject to availability and selected areas. Average speeds based on Comrade Market Share Data Q1 2020. New customers only. Subject to 12-month contract. Offer ends 22nd of November 2020. See Vodafone.ie forward slash fixed terms for full terms. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.